You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. We're going to be in four separate passages of Scripture. Let's make sure that our cell phones are turned off, if you will. I'm going to give you a lot of information, but I'm trusting you. How many of you came to think this morning? Thank three of you. Okay. Oh, boy. Maybe I'll preach on Jesus wept. How about that? I am, re- I am actually working on a message for that one. How many of you are cold? You're cold? All right, same three people. My goodness. <laughs> I'm freezing up here. Hopefully I start basing like a turkey under, under this one right here. Bring you greetings from Salt Lake City, Utah. Pastor Atwood sends its greetings, and um, definitely good to be with him. But we're going to be in four separate passages of Scripture, and they have a common word, or might I say a common topic. And once again, a lot of information. The, the first place that we're going to is a story of Peter, Paul, Paul, preaching to a group of people, and the Bible says that they live in a city that is wholly given to idolatry. So we read that and we're like, oh, what terrible people. Wait a second, wait a second. That means they were very religious people, okay? He's preaching to very religious people. Could we put it this way? He's preaching to very spiritually minded people. In fact, all that they spent their time to do was talking about some new religious thing, some new spiritual thing. Extremely spiritual-minded people. In fact, it's the only time I've ever seen in the Bible somebody talks about, you know, I don't want to be so heavenly-minded that I'm no earthly good. These people are about the closest that you can get to that. They were so spiritually-minded, so sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. And we're going to read about that. And then we're going to go to another spot. And this spot is Paul, once again, writing to a church that's very divided. The church is partly made of Jews, partly made of Gentiles. And the Jews had just been kicked out of Rome for about 100 years because of one of the Roman emperors. And now they're invited to come back. And when they come back, they find the church that they left has been Gentiled, if you will. They're no longer meeting on the Sabbath day. They're meeting on Sunday. They're no longer following these Mosaic laws. They're saying something about grace, and they're saying something about we don't have to follow the Mosaic law anymore. And these Jewish members who have now come back are very confused because Gentiles, they were taught for their entire life, were very wicked people. And the Gentiles did things that Jews would not even think about. And so we're going to talk about how Paul addresses the Jews in the first part uh, when we get to the second passage. Then we're going to get to the third passage. And the third passage, you have to understand by understanding another letter that was written earlier, and we'll get there later. But it's the second letter that he's written to a church. And he's talking about the first letter that he wrote to them, and all of his feelings that he went into in between his first letter and his second letter. I told you this is a lot of information, but are we following along? And then when we get to the last one, it's really going to bring the topic into, into view. Remember, we're looking for one common word, one common topic. We probably won't turn to that last one. I'll just quote it to you. But the first one we're going to turn to is Acts chapter 17. It is our custom here to stand when we open God's word. So Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be. Now, let's see if you were listening. This is the city that was wholly given to idolatry, but we're going to put it this way. They were very religious people, very spiritually minded people. And Paul gets an opportunity to stand before a group of them and introduce what he believes about spiritual things. And he gets to introduce 
Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 22. Verse 21, you can see what I told you about all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. There are some commentators who say certainly Paul would not be so forward with people. Certainly he would not say something so insulting to them. You don't know Paul, do you? You, know, you, don't, you don't know Jack? You don't know Paul. That's, I should preach a message called that. You are too superstitious. Superstitious means to put your faith in something that you cannot prove. Put, or put your faith in something that is really kind of absurd, okay? So you spill salt and you got to throw it over your shoulder if you want to live to be days older. Don't walk under a, uh, a ladder or you'll have how many years bad luck? Seven years bad luck. If you break a mirror, you have how many years bad luck? If a black cat goes in front of you, eat it, barbecue it up, right? Don't make sure that, hey, 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 easy. Add some soy sauce to it, it'll be fine. I'm not saying eat it raw, that would be horrible. Black cat goes in front of you. You know, one of a uh, good old gospel writer wrote a song about being very superstitious. Okay, so moving forward. All of you, all of you oldies are going to get that one. For I passed by and beheld your devotions and found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore, I love this word, ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. People, if you were to say you're ignorant, people, <gasps> guys, it's not that hard of a word. It just means you don't know, right? I'm ignorant about checkers. I'm ignorant about baking. I'm ignorant about women. I'm ignorant about different things. I just don't know. I've read, I've studied up, but I'm ignorant about those things, okay? So their worship was ignorant. It was worship without knowledge. Skip ahead to verse 30. He's going to bring this word up again. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at. He, he put up with it. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Who is that man? Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. There's only one man that's been raised from the dead. That is Jesus Christ. One day you will be judged in righteousness by Jesus Christ. Let's go to the next one. Romans chapter 2. Do we remember this one? He's writing to a very divided church, Jews and Gentiles. That's why he starts in verse number one. He says, for I am not ashamed to preach the gospel of Christ unto you, for it is the power of God unto all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in, in God, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile. So he starts naming all of these Gentile sins at the end of verse 1, saying that God is going to judge the Gentiles for living in such a wicked way. Wherefore, chapter 2, verse 1, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. And if you look at the context, he's saying, O Jewish person. Whosoever thou art that judgest a Gentile... For wherein thou judgest a Gentile, thou condemnest thyself as a Jew, for thou that judgest the Gentiles for sinning doest the same thing. Uh-oh. But we, the Jews, are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them that commit such things, against the Gentiles that commit all of those sins that were named before. We are sure that when God judges people who do those things, that is true judgment. That's right judgment. We're sure about that, aren't we? Oh, the, the Gentiles deserve that one. That's for sure. How much more do you deserve it when you... <laughs> okay, you may be seated. It's going to take a while. 
There's so much preaching here, okay? So he talks about how people in Romans chapter 1 are without excuse because enough of God has been revealed to them in nature, right? So that they're without excuse. Without excuse for their sin, without excuse for committing these horrible acts, even though they are Gentiles, even though they are not God's first chosen people. So then you Jewish people, if God is going to hold a Gentile accountable just because enough has been revealed of God to them in nature, how much more is a Jew going to be held accountable when God has literally revealed himself in Jesus Christ to the Jew Jesus was a Jew. How about Mount Sinai, where God revealed himself at the very beginning of their relationship with one another? If the Jew is going to look at a Gentile and say, oh, yeah, they deserve that punishment for doing all those things. But then the Jew does them, too, because why? Oh, well, I'm a child of Abraham. Whoa, being a child of Abraham is going to raise your responsibility and raise your accountability, not lower it. Are we following along? Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, who judges another, and yet you do the same. We are sure that when God judges a Gentile, oh, it's the right thing. But then when God judges you, you get mad. Or, or, here's another thing that the Jew said. Why is the Lord so patient with the Gentiles? Why does the Lord let the heathen get away with all of this stuff, but he doesn't let us get away with it. Well, wait a second. When I walk into Walmart and I see a kid throwing an absolute fit, I, but they're not my kid, I'm not going to go up to that kid, grab it, turn it upside down, and spank it. That's called um, assault. <laughs> Who said, what did, what did, you, what did you say? Child abuse? Yeah, that'll work too. You're paying attention, young lady. I love it. Okay. <laughs> now, if I were to do it to my kid, is it child abuse? No! Spanking! Yay! Now, you know that spanking is not to cause pain. It's to cause submission, okay? But I will tell you this. My dad isn't here today, and he never told me this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. He never told me that. He said, son... This is going to hurt you a lot more than it hurts me. <sighs> My therapist says I'll be all right. <laughs> you guys are distracting me. Where was I? Oh, oh, they were getting mad. The Jews were getting mad that, they were, that God was being patient with the Gentiles and yet not patient with them. Well, wait a second. I'm going to be a lot more patient with somebody who hasn't had the proper upbringing, doesn't know, no, you don't cuss, and you don't this, and you don't throw a fit, and you don't, but my child, who has been told from the very beginning, you don't do that, you don't go there, you don't say those things, you don't smoke that, you don't smoke that, you don't smoke that, you certainly don't smoke that, and you don't vape that either, and you don't drink that, and you don't shoot that up, and you don't do, if my child does it, whoa, you knew better, kid. And to whom much is given, much shall be required. But the Jews are getting mad that God is being patient with the Gentiles. And notice what he says in verse 3. Thinkest thou this, old man, that judgest them which doest such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering towards these heathen people, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Why is he being so patient with the other people? I'll just go ahead and I'll quote the last, the last one now. 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not slack, as some men count slackness according to his promise, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have we found our word yet? What's our word? What's our topic? Repentance. But we have one last place to go. Second, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 7. 
Okay. Paul had written a letter to 1 Corinthians. Uh, uh, to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. And it was a harsh letter. A very corrective letter. And after he sent the letter, it's not like a text where you see the read receipt and you get the, and you get the response right away. It's not like you were able to pick up the phone and talk and hear their conversation. And how many of you have ever gotten in trouble because you sent a text and the person misunderstood your tone over the text? All the time, right? And they, they, they either ghost you or they send back, like, that's really rude. And you're just like, I, I, just, said I'd, I, I just said, bless your heart. <laughs> Which apparently you're not supposed to say in Texas. Right? I, just, I just said, bless your heart, you know? But... Oh, bless your heart is a lot different than bless your heart. Yeah. And depending on, on, on how people read it, you know, or okay is a lot different than okay. Right. <laughs> and depending on, on how people read it. And so you have to write with the right tone and you have to write with the right message. And another thing is you don't have, you don't have a copy of it. So he sends it off and maybe he's thinking, oh, did I, did I say that? And how, how did I say that? Did I, did I say that in the right way? And notice what happens in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in chapter 7, verse 5. When we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. He said, we were arguing about it. We were arguing about whether or not I should have written that letter. Well, maybe you should have said it this way. Maybe you should have done it. This well, I didn't. I'm sorry. And then within, he said, within, I just, I didn't know how you were going to respond to it. Verse number six, nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. He couldn't hold it in anymore. He sends one of his assistant pastors to Corinth and Titus comes back with the report. Not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me. I rejoiced the more. Notice this. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. I don't change my mind. I'm glad I wrote that letter. Though I did repent, there was a time where I wished I didn't write it. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to what? To repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Repentance means to change one's mind. That, that letter changed your mind in a way where you will never change your mind back again. And I'm so happy. I want to preach a message called, Sorry, Not Sorry. Repentance. What is it? What is repentance? And I guess before that, we need to ask, is it necessary? Because if it's not necessary, then who cares? People are trying to bring mask mandates back. And in Salt Lake City, I walked into a place, and they said, do you have a mask? No. Is it necessary? No. <laughs> then who cares? <laughs> now it's by choice. Well, my choice is no. Goodness. All right. So if it's not necessary, then who cares what it is? Here's what Acts chapter 17, verse 30 said. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Remember the context here. This is a sermon to very spiritually minded people. Remember? Very spiritually minded, very religious people who were wholly given to idolatry. The, the historians say that in Athens there were more idols than people. Wholly given to idolatry, even an altar to an unknown God, just in case we missed one, we don't want to make you angry. 
They were very spiritually minded, religious, devout, interested, sincere people. But God says you are sincerely wrong. Your sincerity doesn't mean anything. If you are sincere that the earth is flat, you are sincerely wrong. I'm sorry, you're sincerely wrong. Yeah, Jupiter's round and Saturn's round and everything's round, but we're flat. And there's an ice wall around the perimeter. And it's, and it's guarded. It's guarded by snipers. Chris Kyle isn't dead. That's where he is. This is what they say. This is what they say. Chris Kyle was so important to guard the ice wall, they faked his death and put him on the ice wall to keep people from, from, from showing that the earth is actually flat and from exposing NASA. You're sincerely wrong. And the Bible says this. Yeah, you're worshiping, but it's ignorant worship. And, and for a time, God, God looked past. God was patient. He winked at this ignorant worship. But now he commands everyone everywhere to turn to change your mind and to repent. I think it's necessary. It is very much necessary. If there is not a commandment from God to repent, then continue in your own way. If there is not a command for God to repent, then follow your own religion. If there's not a command from God to repent, then do your own thing, continue with your all ideas, follow your heart like Disney tells you to do, remain on your path, worship your way, take comfort in your sincerity and trust in your religion. But if Acts chapter 17 verse 30 is still there, which it was about five minutes ago, you can check again just to see if it disappeared. If it's still there, then God accepts no false religion, no matter how sincere you are. He wants and he requires repentance. So since it's necessary, what is it? If it's required, let's get it right. The general Bible definition is to change one's direction, to change one's mind, or to turn. The specific definition for my message is this. Repentance in these verses that we read means to turn from sin to God. It means to turn from your way to God's way. It means to turn from your will to God's will. Now, I want to show you something here. There's a reason why a lot of people do not repent. Brother Ben, can you come up and help me? You can leave your Bible down. Okay, we are going to stand right down here, okay? So a lot of people think this. A lot of people think that people who are not doing right are facing that way, and God is facing this way. And so repentance means your life is going to turn, and you're going to, I mean, just 180. And that's not always what it is. Now, if somebody here is murdering and doing every single wrong thing that you can, wants nothing to do with God, says he's an atheist, and then comes into contact with Jesus Christ, and he repents from all of those things, I would say his life is going to look very different. But for the most part, when we're talking about repentance, we are talking to very spiritually minded people. And they see Jesus heading to that door. Okay? And here's where they are. And they think, we're going the same direction, aren't we? No, wait a second. If we keep walking, I'm going to end up at that door. He's going to end up at that one. That door leads to heaven. That one leads to hell. So, no, it might not be a drastic turn, but a person who, need, <laughs> a person who needs to do this is just as much in need of repentance as a person who needs to do this. Amen. And a person who is this 
might look like they're walking with the Lord for a while. Are you walking with me? <laughs> but the further and further we go, oh, I'm sorry, you're stuck. The further, can you imagine? The further and further we go, if we were to reach all the way back here, he's going through a completely separate door than me. Just because back here, he refused to do this. And that is the biggest problem in Texas. Oh, I'm a religious person. So were they. Oh, I'm a good person. So were they. Even though the Bible says there is none good, there is none righteous, no, not one. It's not about being good. It's about being righteous. And somebody who is facing this way will go to hell the same amount as somebody who's facing this way. Repentance is necessary. If we are going to have a relationship, a continued relationship with the Lord, we have to turn from our will to his will, our way to his way. That is the only way we walk. I'm not holding your hand. The only way we walk <laughs> hand in hand all the way until I finish my race. But as soon as he turns to his way, whether this way or this way or that way, can two walk together except they be agreed? Whoa, where'd you go? We are not in agreement. Do we understand? Yes. Repentance is necessary. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care how good your life looks. It's not about being good. It's about being perfect. Are you perfect? The only way you will ever be perfect is if you latch on to somebody who is. And Jesus says that will not happen, that will not happen, that will not happen without repentance. He did not say, if you want a relationship with me, find religion. Here's what religion is. Religion is our way. That's what religion is, our way. And for the most part, it's not this. It's this. I was just in Salt Lake City, Utah, where all the ladies are wearing skirts and dresses. And they're clean cut, and they're nice people. They're Mormon. You know what they are? Jesus plus sacraments. That's it. But right here at the start of the journey, man, they look sharp. Oh, they look good. But the further they go, and you realize what they truly believe, they get further and further and further apart. Same thing with Catholics. Same thing with Baptists who get away from the Bible. He didn't say, if you're going to have a relationship with me, find recitation. Recitation is asking for forgiveness for all of your sins, never planning to change. He didn't ask for redefinition. Oh, it's not sin, it's sickness. Sickness requires therapy. Sin requires repentance. Stop redefining it. He didn't ask for reformation. You know what reformation is? Turning from your sin to nothing. Oh, I don't drink anymore. Congratulations. Isaiah says this. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. And reformation without replacement brings relapse. I heard something good yesterday. Somebody said, Pastor, I used to dip. I used to dip for a very long time. Now that I don't dip, you know what I do? I eat. <laughs> Hey, reformation with replacement, that man's not going back. Now he might turn out to, <laughs> he might turn out to be like this. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Here, here's another thing I've heard. I used to, uh, I think another one was, I used to smoke. I used to smoke. And oh man, every time I want to smoke, you know what I do? I eat ice cream. 
I like that person. I might take up smoking just so I have an, uh, an excuse to eat ice cream. No, 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 I wouldn't do that. I'd vape though, because that's different. Y'all are crazy. He didn't say, if you want to have a relationship with me, you owe me recompense, which means this. I need to pay you back. I need to pay you back. I need to pay you back for all the things that I did wrong. No, he just said, repent. Repent. Not recite. Repent. Not religion. Repent. Not redefinition. Repentance. Not reformation. Repentance. I'm going to rededicate my life, which means this. I promise something that I never intend to keep. I will never sin again. I want to rededicate my life. Pastor, I want to be baptized to rededicate my life. Translated. I want to get wet for no reason. You want to rededicate your life? Come to church tonight. He requires real repentance. What did John, Jesus, and the apostles say? Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What happened at Pentecost? Bre men and brethren, whatever shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. So then how do we do that? How do we reach repentance? What brings us to turn from our sin to God in a real and a lasting way. And I think what we just asked is important, and I think how we asked it is crucial. Repentance is made up of two components. Component number one, turning from sin. Component number two, turning to God. So if we are going to ask, how do we repent? We can also ask, number one, what brings us to turn from our sin? And then we can ask, number two, what brings us to turn to God? Now, in order to answer the first question, what brings us to turn from our sin? We saw that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He wrote 1 Corinthians and he said, I... It made you sorry. And it says this, Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Do you want to know? You will never, you will never, you will never turn from your sin. I don't care if it's murder. I don't care if it's smoking. I don't care if it's you told your mommy and daddy a lie this last week. I don't care what it is. You will never turn from your sin until you're sorry for it. And I'm not talking about this shallow sorry. There, where is the godly sorrow? Do you want to know why our country is in such a mess? Do you want to know why our city is in such a mess? you want to know why our families are in such a mess? you want to know why our men are in such a mess? you want to know why our women are in such a mess? you want to know why our kids are in such a mess? Nobody's sorry. Everybody's the victim. And it started that way in the garden, didn't it? What is this that thou hast done? Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. No. The woman. The woman. That thou gavest to me. Woman. What is this? That, why am I looking at my wife? <laughs> every, time she, every time she asks me, where would you be without me? I say, in the garden. <laughs> A very dirty garden with no dishes cleaned and no throw pillows anywhere. Oh, goodness. Where was I? The blame game. Yes, yes, thank you. Nobody's sorry. Nobody is sorry for their sin. Maybe they're not sorry because they don't have a Paul in their life 
who will call out sin for what it is. Do you, we, we need to understand the context of 2 Corinthians. If we're going to understand 2 Corinthians, the godly sorrow that came, we have to understand what 1 Corinthians was about. 1 Corinthians is correcting a church that's all about speaking in tongues and nobody's interpreting, and it, which... And he says, you know, there's all these gifts and you should covet earnestly the, earnestly the best gifts and the worst gift is tongues and that's all you care about. And everything is supposed to be done e uh, decently and in order and you're all coming in saying, I have a message, I have a message, I have a message and God is not the author of confusion. So they were completely wrong on that. Oh, and just, just, just a small thing. They were messing around with the Lord's Supper, getting wasted drunk at the Lord's Supper. Probably shouldn't be doing this to Jesus. Oh, and one other small thing. There's a dude in the church sleeping with this stepmom. And the church knew about it and did nothing. And so Paul took out his iPad <laughs> and said, y'all done messed up. That's in the original Greek. And he wrote and he said, that man, that man, give him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of judgment. And all of you who are messing around with the Lord's Supper, oh, I also hear that a lot of you are sick and that a lot of you are dying. That's why. Oh, and by the way, all of you who are speaking in tongues, guys, you're acting like children. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I acted like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I have not charity, I'm sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Oh man, it was harsh, it was stern, it was difficult to write. It was difficult to read. More importantly, it was difficult to wait in between wondering what was going on. And other people had read it. And he says this, outside were fightings. People had come up to him and said, I think you were a little too harsh with the Corinthians. Well, well maybe I was. What, what was I supposed to do? They, he's sleeping around with his stepmom. Yeah, but Paul, you're doing, and they start fighting about it. And then within were fears. Did, did, I do, did I do something wrong? Should I have waited until I saw them in person? Was I too harsh? How will they take it? How will they react? Do they know that I love them? Do they know that I believed it was necessary? If I didn't believe it was necessary, I wouldn't have done it. Will it last? Uh, well, if, I, if, if I would have waited, will they have lasted until I got there and spoke to them? No, I, I think I needed to. Was it the right thing to do? And at one point he said, no, I don't think I should have written it. Verse 8 of chapter 7 says he changed his mind. I repented. I don't think I should have wrote it. But then Titus comes. And Titus says, Paul, they have an earnest desire to do right. They're mourning about what they've done wrong. And they have a fervent mind towards you. Paul said, I started to think you would hate me for what I said. And as soon as he says they have a fervent mind towards you, they hate what they did and they want to do right. Paul said, I re rejoiced. I rejoiced. You know why? Because I'm, the, the letter made you sorry. And I'm so glad. I'm not glad that I made you sorry, but I'm glad that you're sorry, that your sorrow was after a godly sort. Because let me tell you something, Corinth. When you're sorry for your sin, it will make you look at it and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. But until you are sorry, you will keep on doing it. Godly sorrow worketh repentance, worketh. It will toil within you until you say, I never want to do that again. 
We don't have any sorrow anymore. We have shallow sorrow. Sorry I got caught. Which means this. I'm not going to never do wrong again. I'm just going to get better at hiding the bad. That's shallow sorrow. And that's why he says, worldly sorrow worketh death. Or, I'm sorry about the consequences. When Cain got caught for killing his brother, and the Lord came up to him and says, what is this that thou hast done? And he laid out the punishment. Read it. There was no, oh God, I'm so sorry for what I've done. He said this, my punishment is greater than I can bear. All he cared about was the consequences. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, never to return again, by the way. When you have shallow sorrow, you will only be sorry that you got caught which means you are not going to get good. You are just going to get good at hiding your bad. Or you're going to get mad at the consequences. So instead of getting good, you just start hanging around people who won't hold you accountable. And you get mad at people who do. You get mad at a pastor who will stand up here and say, Thou shalt not. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't commit adultery. Don't watch those stupid shows. Don't watch that. Or don't read that book. Don't say that. Don't think that. Don't go there. Don't act that way. Oh, yeah, and you must love it. No, without our fightings and within our fears. You know how many times people come up, that was a little harsh. Well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do when my people are posting it, when my people are saying it, when my people are drinking it, when my people are smoking it, when my people are vaping it, and when my people are excusing it? What am I supposed to do? Somebody has got to stand up and say, no, no, stop, repent, turn, because God has commanded men everywhere to repent because there's coming a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ faces this way. And when I see my people even do this, I'm coming. Where is the godly sorrow today? Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on there because technically I should be done. We'll talk about the second thing and then I'll be done. And I think talking about the second component of repentance is going to help us answer why we don't see a lot of the first component of repentance. What is the first component of repentance? Turning from what? Turning from sin. But then the second component is turning to. Okay, how do I put this? Because I'm all over with my notes here. Godly sorrow is never wanting to do it again. Worldly sorrow is never wanting to get caught again. Never being around somebody who will punish you for doing wrong. What brings you to turn from your sin? It's godly sorrow. But repentance is not only turning from your sin, it's turning from your sin to the Lord. Turning from your sin but not to the Lord is only reformation. Turning to the Lord, but not from your sin, is hypocrisy. And it's impossible. So then the question is, what brings us to turn to the Lord? Let's make this as simple as possible. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Can I give you my message in just one sentence? In order for you to encounter genuine repentance in your life, you need to believe. You need to believe. You need to believe that your sin is horrible enough to turn from. But you also need to believe that Jesus is wonderful enough to turn to. What point is being sorry for your sin if God doesn't care that you're sorry? Oh, but he cares. Some of you are not sorry for your sin. You're just not sorry for it. You know why? Because you're not this. 
but nothing to show for You're it. this. Here's what I'll tell you. You'll leave here today, and you'll keep walking, and there will come a day when you come back, like many have, and say, Pastor, I feel so far from God. I don't know what happened. Please help me get back. Repent. Turn. Oh, and by the way, notice this. Back here, you would have just had to do this. Just this. Just a little pivot. But when you come to be here, I've got to take you and I've got a big change to get you back on track. Some of you aren't sorry for your sin. Some of you are. But you're afraid of what the Lord will do when you repent and when you come to him. He's going to judge me. He's going to hate me. He's going to punish me. He's going to slap me. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to do all this. One day he will. Listen to me. One day he will. He has appointed a day where he will judge the world in righteousness according to his son, Jesus Christ. But because he has appointed a day for judgment, he has provided today for repentance. Yes, every unrepentant sinner will face judgment one day. But remember, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I just have a question. Are you sorry you said it? Are you sorry you did it? Are you sorry you hit it? Are you sorry you thought it? Are you sorry you visited it? Are you sorry you excused it? Are you sorry for what you've done? And if you're not sorry, maybe you've never had a Paul who told you it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. You do today. And maybe if you're not sorry, you've never thought of how good the God is that you're sinning against. You are sinning against the God who left heaven and slept on rocks and was despised and rejected, barely ate, barely slept. Church, you get worried about me because I barely eat and I barely sleep. That is what Jesus Christ did for you. So many times, Miss Grace, he reached his hand out to people and he said, why won't you? Why won't you come to me? Can you see him weeping over you? I don't know your name, but he knows your name. Why, why won't you come to me? I love you so much, and I don't want you to go through that door. I know where that door leads. Why won't you come to me? A God who is so good to go up to blinded eyes and heal them, to go up to lame feet and heal them, to go into death's door and knock on death's door and say, child, arise. To feed 5,000, 4,000 at least. To die on a cross and say not a word, thinking of you, and raise again from the dead. Oh, my friend, does it not bother you? Does it not hurt you that you sin against a God who loves you so much? Oh, Lord, forgive me. When Cain was confronted, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And he went out from the presence of the Lord. David, David said this, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness and thy tender mercies, blot out all my transgressions. For my acknowledge my sin and my, my transgressions are ever before thee. And he says this, I'm ready to halt I will be sorry for my sin. Don't be afraid of what he's going to do. 
I read a story in Luke chapter 15 of a young man who ran away from his father. But when he repented, he came back. And the father ran to him, hugged him, loved him, threw a party for him, and said, my son was lost and now is found. Come to Jesus today, won't you? Come on, come on. What would stop you from coming to Jesus today? Forgiveness is yours when you come to Jesus today. Today is your day of salvation. He is good. Romans chapter 2 says he is rich in goodness. He's rich in forbearance. He's rich in long-suffering. Yes, sinners deserve death in hell, but God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Where is the godly sorrow for your sin? Do you realize when you gossip, you are gossiping against the God who gave you the breath to gossip? When you take his name in vain, you are using the breath that he gave you to take his name in vain. When you sleep around, you are, you are sleeping around against the God who gave you the very feeling, the very ability to enjoy pleasure. When you are listening to what you ought not, you are using the very ears he gave you to listen. When you are saying what you ought not, he gave you the very mouth that he gave you when you are saying that. When you are manipulating people, he gave you the very mind that allows you to manipulate. When you are pushing people, he gave you the very arms to push people around. When you despise people, he gave you the very heart to despise, which also has the capacity to love. Are you not sorry for sinning against a God who died for you? Is your sin not horrible enough to turn from? Answer that in your heart. Oh, it's just this. Give it some time. Is your sin not horrible enough to turn from? And is Jesus not wonderful enough to turn to? And if those answers are yes, turn to him today, sinner, turn to him today. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.